Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you this week from Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, it's been a year since Glenn Beck's Nazarene Fund raised $35 million for Afghan relief. We'll have an update on where the money went. We also look at Charlie Kirk's organization, Turning Point USA. The group now has a subsidiary called Turning Point Faith, aimed at pastors and church leaders. We begin today with news that the Southern Baptist Convention's top administrative body voted to cut ties with two congregations on Tuesday. Yeah, one of the congregations was an LGBTQ-affirming church in North Carolina, and the other was a New Jersey congregation that it cited for alleged discriminatory behavior. The votes of the executive committee came at the end of a two-day meeting in Nashville, Tennessee. They kicked out College Park Baptist Church of Greensboro, North Carolina, saying that it was not in friendly cooperation due to its open affirmation, approval, and endorsement of homosexual behavior, which conflicts with the denomination's theologically conservative position on the matter. What's a bit strange about this move, though, is that College Park Baptist Church had voted in 1999 itself to leave the SBC, and its website actually makes a point of saying that it is not a member of the Southern Baptist Convention, but rather one of the more progressive Baptist bodies. But the executive committee chairman, Jared Wellman, said afterward that the convention still had the congregation on its rolls until now. Well, yeah, and that should cause longtime SBC watchers to shake their heads a bit and wonder, keeping churches and individuals on the SBC rolls for years, even decades, was something of a scandal back in the 1980s and 90s within the SBC. You've got to wonder if that problem is rearing its head again, and the SBC might have a number of congregations that are no longer affiliated actually still on their rolls. That said, I will say that in this case, it was a necessary step, so I guess late is better than never. The committee also declared that Amazing Grace Community Church in Franklinville, New Jersey, was no longer in friendly cooperation. Yeah, and it cited um, a lack of cooperation to resolve concerns regarding alleged discriminatory behavior, though it was not specific about the nature of that behavior. I should add that since Baptist congregations are self-governing, the denomination can't actually force them to follow policies, but it can effectively expel a church by declaring that they are not in friendly cooperation, which is the language they use in these two cases. If they don't conform to denominational standards in particular areas, such as LGBTQ policies or support for racism or a failure to respond in appropriate ways to issues like, for example, sexual abuse or employing sex offenders as pastors. Was there any other news from the Nashville meeting this week? Well, the committee learned that more than 200 referrals um, had been made to a newly established hotline uh, about alleged mishandling of abuse cases within the SBC uh, church or within organizations related to the SBC. That news came from the Abuse 
Reform Implementation Task Force, which was created after the release of Guidepost Solutions scathing report earlier this year that we reported on, of course, extensively here at Ministry Watch regarding the sexual abuse of children within the SBC and the mistreatment of survivors by the executive committee. And what about the Department of Justice investigation? Well, they did talk about that a little bit as well. The convention said in August that the U.S. Department of Justice is investigating the SBC. The DOJ didn't confirm that report, which is not uncommon. Uh, they often do not confirm even that investigations are ongoing. But the convention suggested in a statement that the investigation related to sexual abuse. And on Tuesday, the executive committee voted to transfer $500,000 from its investments in into its operating budget in part to respond to the costs associated with this investigation. Well, our next story is what you might call a win for watchdog journalism. Yeah, that's right. A Tennessee pastor of what was originally a Southern Baptist church has resigned after a local newspaper published a story uh, that was essentially the story of a former parishioner who came forward uh, with allegations that uh, this pastor had abused her uh, when he was a youth pastor, and she was in the youth group in Kentucky. The pastor's name is Christian Watts, and he announced his decision to step down from Life Change Church of Tullahoma, Tennessee, on the church's Facebook page after the Nashville Tennessean published the story of Valerie Swope, who said that Watts had an inappropriate sexual relationship with her. And I should add, Natasha, by the way, that we often do not use the names of victims in our stories. You just heard me use the name of Valerie Swope, and I should say that that she um, wanted her name and her story to be told, which is why we feel the liberty to use her name now. Now, Watts acknowledged that he had sex with Swope starting when she was 16, when she was part of a youth group that he led at a church in Louisville. Yeah, Watts apologized on the Facebook post uh, for, you know, what had happened. Uh, That post, I should say, though, has subsequently been removed. Uh, The post read in part, I am deeply sorry for any pain and sorrow that this has uh, brought upon you. Now, Swope said in a statement to the newspaper that she had peace in this moment because Watts would no longer be the pastor at that church. The newspaper said that Swope initially reported her relationship with Watts back in 2002, 20 years ago. Um, but that it drew more attention lately after clergy sexual abuse scandals had come to the forefront within the SBC in the past few years. Now, Louisville police investigated the allegations uh, in 2019, but Watts was not charged at that time because, and this is actually the case in a lot of sexual abuse um, matters, that the laws did not Um, at that time, qualified the behavior as illegal. Many laws have been changed recently, and having sex with a minor, or if you're in a position of authority over that minor, is now illegal. Amazingly, this is a fairly modern phenomenon for that to be made illegal. While we're on the topic of sexual abuse in churches, there's a new survey that says that American faith in the church's ability to address abuse is deteriorating. Yeah, the study came from YouGov America. It was a poll that they released um, a couple of weeks ago, and it reveals a decline in America's faith in churches to prevent and handle sexual abuse cases appropriately. According to YouGov's report, 31% of Americans 
believe that sexual abuse is more common in the church than in other places. And among those polled, those who identified as uh, d- identified religion as important to them were more likely to view the church's handling of abuse negatively. However, negative assumptions were not only from non-religious Americans. 40% of those who identified religion as vital said that they believed sexual abuse was just as likely to occur in churches as elsewhere. Only 19% of the very religious and only 4% of non-religious people think that the church's sole aim is prevention, that they don't do a good job with prevention at all. And just under half, about 42% of all Americans, claim that the church covers up abuse. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, an update on Glenn Beck's charity, The Nazarene Fund. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Next up, the story we promised before the break, an update on the Nazarene Fund. Some of you might remember a year ago, whenever the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, August of 2021, and the Taliban, of course, quickly took over that country, that Glenn Beck, the conservative media star, raised $35 million for two charities, the Mercury One and the Nazarene Fund, to pay for the evacuation of uh, Afghanis uh, who were trying desperately to get out of the country. Well, as I said, a year's gone by, and we wanted to know where did all that money go? So Steve Raby, the reporter who did our original story on the Nazarene Fund, did a follow-up. What did he find out? Well, what he discovered was that the Nazarene Fund and Mercury One claimed to evacuate 12,000 people, and there seems to be credible evidence that they really did do that. The Nazarene Fund is still working to find a place for about 2,800 of those 12,000 to stay, they remain in a humanitarian camp that's in the United Arab Emirates right now, the UAE. But aside from tweets, uh, which is where we got this information, the Nazarene Fund originally was saying very little about any of the details. So at first, they declined to respond to questions from Ministry Watch, from Vice, or from the Dispatch. Uh, We reached out through uh, multiple emails and phone calls. None of them were answered. Now, finally, we published Steve Raby's story on our website this week, and almost immediately after publishing it, I guess maybe uh, they saw it on the website, or maybe they got some emails and phone calls from some of their supporters. Executive Director David Jacobs did reach out to Ministry Watch, and he 
uh, gave us a few more details. He said, for example, that 19 million of the 35 million was spent on flights. There were a lot of chartered aircraft going in and out of the country and about $8 million on humanitarian efforts. That's about $27 million when you add the two numbers up. Well, and that leaves about $8 million unaccounted for. Yeah, that's right. Though he did say, and by he I mean, again, David Jacobs, the executive director of the Nazarene Fund, that they still had expenses associated with the effort. Um, moving Afghanis out of the UAE and into permanent homes was still an ongoing part of that work. And they uh, were spending you know, money every day, every week, every month on that effort. They ex- he said that David Jacobs expected that they would spend all of that $35 million before the effort is complete. Or in our next story is one that we've been following for the past few weeks. There's been a new development in the story of the pastor who had a million dollars worth of jewelry stolen from him during a church service. Yeah, that's right. Brooklyn Bishop Lamar Whitehead is making headlines yet again following an incident that took place this past Sunday. Uh, Whitehead first made the news back in July when he and his wife were robbed of jewelry at gunpoint while he was preaching during the church's live stream on Sunday morning. Uh, According to police, the value of that jewelry was estimated to be about $1 million. You can find that video actually online. And of course, we reported on that in July when it happened. Now, police officers were called to the scene once again after Whitehead, uh, who is the bishop, by the way, of Leaders of Tomorrow International Ministries in Brooklyn, was interrupted by two women who started shouting from the back of the room at the bishop. The incident, which was also captured on video, shows that Whitehead stopped his sermon and confronted the women. Whitehead then grabbed the back of the neck of one of the women and let her off camera, telling her to go over here. He then told others to grab her and take her out of the room. Now, law enforcement was called to the scene, and they ended up arresting the bishop. They put him in handcuffs and took him to the 69th Precinct Station House and told him that he was going to be charged with assault. He was later released, though, and told the press that he had been persecuted for his beliefs. Well, next up, news of a leadership change at one of the Southern Baptist Convention's most high-profile organizations. Brent Leatherwood is the new president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Leatherwood was named interim president of the ERLC last fall, and he succeeds Russell Moore, who resigned in 2021 to join the staff of Christianity Today magazine. Russell Moore became a lightning rod in the SBC because he spoke out against Donald Trump. Will Brett Leatherwood follow Russell Moore's footsteps? Well, it's kind of hard to know at this point. Leatherwood is former executive director of the Tennessee Republican Party, so he certainly has an interest in and knowledge of politics. And he says that he hopes his fellow Southern Baptists will vote in the upcoming midterm election. But he doesn't want to prescribe what that vote is. He just says that they should vote to protect life, to protect religious liberty, and to protect marriage. But in the end, he said, it's up to each person to vote the way they see best according to their own conscience. And this is a direct quote from him. Uh, I will say it's not my role to bind anyone's conscience in terms of how to vote. 
Well, one group that is telling Christians how to vote is Turning Point USA, a group founded by conservative firebrand Charlie Kirk. He has now formed a subsidiary called Turning Point Faith. What can you tell me about that group? Well, Charlie Kirk, first of all, um, is was 18 years old back in 2012. So that would, of course, you know, make him 28 years old now, still very young. Uh, when he he founded Turning Point USA with a $10,000 gift from a donor, a decade later, Turning Point USA is a $55 million a year organization. It has about 450 employees in the organization, and it promotes small government capitalism, vaccine skepticism, and claims of election fraud to millions of high school and college students and a growing number of adults. This new group, Turning Point Faith, was one that he announced last year. Um, It's a new initiative that targets Christian leaders in a battle according to Turning Point Faith, for uh, to address the what they're calling the crisis of faith in America, meaning the loss of faith in the American nation, not necessarily a crisis of theology. Well, since that announcement, what's happened? Well, uh, with the 2022 midterms approaching, Turning Point Faith is using about $6.4 million uh, of its budget to ramp up activity aimed at pastors to preach political sermons and to endorse candidates. Now, can endorse, the organization can endorse, but individual pastors certainly can endorse. And in June, more than 500 faith leaders turned up for Turning Point Faith's first annual pastor summit in San Diego, California. Now, Turning Point Faith plans numerous other programs for people of faith. Freedom Night in America is an event series designed to equip pastors, congregations, and to empower the faith community to put their faith into action. And the Saving America Tour with Charlie Kirk organizes events in churches. Is there a chance that all this political activity will jeopardize Turning Point's tax-exempt status? Well, Turning Point USA is a 501c3 organization, uh, as you suggested there, Natasha, meaning that its work must be nonpartisan. And its uh, Form 990 says that its mission includes nonpartisan debate, dialogue, and discussion. But I should also add that the group is currently under scrutiny from the Arizona Secretary of State's office following a rally held just before Arizona's primary elections that appeared to violate uh, campaign finance laws. At least that's what the Arizona Secretary of State's office is going to look into. So I'll I'll have to say at this point, though, that we'll just have to wait and see. Um, As long as the group doesn't explicitly endorse candidates or tell lawmakers specifically how to vote on a particular particular piece of legislation, it does have a lot of latitude. And in fact, I think for the most part, um, Christians and even those involved in ministry probably don't use um, their voice enough. Uh, And I think that uh, we could probably be saying more. Now, whether Turning Point USA is pushing the boundaries on that, we'll have to wait and see. But um, for now, I would say that they're in a pretty good spot. We're going to take another break, but when we return our weekly round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. 
Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, what's up first is a recent report by the Barna Group that uh, has Christians revisiting the meaning of the traditional tithe. Revisiting the tithe and offering uh, is a study produced in partnership with Generis and Glue. Generis is a fundraising firm, uh, and it's the latest release in the State of Generosity series, and it's the culmination of data uh, effort, data collection efforts uh, that began with the survey of more than 2,000 U.S. adults last November. In the study, 99% of pastors claimed that they fully understood tithing and the biblical definition of the tithe, but 36% of Christians who were not pastors admitted to being unfamiliar with the concept. They just did not know what the tithe meant. And the Barner report, 37% of all Christians said that the amount they give varies. About 25% of Christians said that they don't give anything at all to their church. Only 21% said that they gave the historical traditional 10% or more of their income. And who does Christina Darnell have in the Ministries Making a Difference column this week? Well, she has actually a little bit of a longer column this week, uh, so I invite our listeners to check it out. But I want to highlight two. One of them is called Attack Poverty. Uh, It's an organization uh, in Texas that that partners with local people and organizations to develop communities specifically in pockets of poverty that have unique needs. The Houston Chronicle profiled Attack Poverty earlier this year, highlighting its work with local students, teachers, and the homeless. Uh, The nonprofit uh, offers GED courses, English as second language courses, finance and parenting classes, among others. I should also add that Attack Poverty has a the highest possible ratings from Ministry Watch. We get they get five stars for financial efficiency. That's five out of five. They get an A transparency grade, which is our top transparency grade, and they have a donor confidence score of 100. And I should add that very few ministries actually have a 100. We got a thousand ministries in our database, and we probably have we definitely have fewer than 100. It's probably more like 30 or 40 that have a 100 donor confidence score. So good for them. And uh, Mercy Ships is the other ministry I want to highlight. They just announced the appointment of a new international chief medical officer last week. It's Professor Mark Schreim. He's been volunteering for Mercy Ships as a head and neck surgeon since 2008 and as a surgical specialty consultant since 2016. He's now taking over this new role, effective immediately, and Mercy Ships is another one of those organizations that gets really high ratings from Ministry Watch. They get an A transparency grade and a 95% donor confidence score. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? 
Well, just a couple of quick items. Um, I'm going to be doing a bit of travel in the weeks ahead. I, in fact, as I said at the top of the podcast, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee today uh, speaking uh, at a conference, and I had a great lunch um, today with some Ministry Watch readers and podcast listeners, which some I try to do whenever I travel is to you know, carve out a little bit of time to uh, meet with readers and listeners. And I'll be hosting another lunch uh, in Charlotte during the month of October, and I'll be in Newport Beach, California in November. If you live in one of those two cities, I hope that uh, you'll reach out to me and, and maybe, if possible, attend the lunch. You should be getting an email from me with additional information. But if you want to make sure that you're on the list to get that email, just send me your email and I'll give you all the details. The main detail you need to know right now, though, is that they're all free. We don't charge for these lunches. They're just our way of saying thank you for being a part of our work. So if you'd like details, send me an email. My email is wsmith at ministrywatch.com. And I also want to remind everybody of something that I mentioned last week, that if you make a donation to Ministry Watch during the month of September, we'll send you a copy of uh, the, my book, Restoring All Things, is our thank you gift. This book is one that I wrote with the Colson Center's John Stone Street, and it features stories of great ministries doing great work all around the country. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Bob Smetania, Steve Raby, Jesse T. Jackson, Jessica Ederalde, Anne Stike, Peter Smith, and Christina Darnell. Special thanks to churchleaders.com and the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.